The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Charles Bradlaugh was an outstanding atheist and an outspoken atheist in England. Down in one of the slums of London was a minister by the name of Hugh Price Hughes, and all of London was aware of miracles of grace that were accomplished at his mission. Charles Bradlaugh challenged Mr. Hughes to debate with him the validity of the claims of Christianity. London was greatly interested. What would Mr. Hughes do? He immediately accepted the challenge and added one of his own. Hughes said, I propose to you that we each bring some concrete evidences of the validity of our beliefs in the form of men and women who have been redeemed from the lives of sin and shame by the influence of our teaching. I will bring 100 such men and women, and I challenge you to do the same. He continued, If you cannot bring 100, Mr. Bradlaugh, to match my 100, I will be satisfied if you will bring 50 men and women who will stand and testify that they have been lifted up from lives of shame by the influence of your teaching. If you cannot bring 50, then I challenge you to bring 20 such people, as mine will, that will say they have a great joy in life and self-respect as the result of your atheistic teaching. If you cannot bring 20, then I'll be satisfied with just 10. Nay, Mr. Bradlaugh, I challenge you to bring one man or woman who will make such a testimony regarding the up lifting power of your atheistic teaching. Again, all of London was stirred and looked on as to what would happen. What would Mr. Bradlaugh do? In answer, Charles Bradlaugh, with great discomfort and chagrin, publicly withdrew his challenge for debate. You see, The issue that he had was that his teaching failed to produce any evidence to validate his claims. The problem that Bradlaugh faced was that the object of his faith was misplaced and therefore had no results. When I first read this story, it challenged me to reflect on my own life. If I were in Hughes' shoes, could, could I... Can I look at my life, and am I the kind of person that could call on a hundred people, or even fifty, or twenty, who could honestly say that God has used my life to influence them for his name? Church, please don't misunderstand me here. It's the power of the gospel that transforms. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that moves on hearts and draws them. But, Paul also says, How will the world know if they never hear it? And how will they hear if no one tells them? How beautiful are the feet that carry the gospel. It is my job, it is your job as Christians to be carriers of the gospel message. My life should be a living testimony to to transforming power of the gospel and the love of of a holy God in all the world should be able to look on my life and say there's something different. The 
world should be able to look on your life and say there's something different. In short, reading this story about Mr. Bradlaugh and Mr. Hughes challenged me to examine my life for fruit. Is the love of God apparent to others in my life? Do I have a joy and peace like only God can give? Are are there other people in my life that I am bringing with me on this journey? Am I reproducing? Is there fruit in my life? See, I want to make sure that there is not a problem with my production. And I want to challenge you to make sure that there is not a problem with your production because as we look at Scripture this morning, the heartbreaking truth that we find is the people of God, when examined, are fruitless. There's nothing but leaves. They face the serious problem with their production. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. As you're turning there, our passage falls at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Just prior to our passage, there's the triumphal entry. We celebrate it as Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into town riding on a colt there, laying down palm leaves and cloaks and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's the welcome of a new king. Now, for those of you who know your Bible, you know this is just days before these very same people would be crying, crucify him, crucify him. We're in the last days of Jesus' earthly life and earthly ministry. After his triumphal entry, say amen if you've got Mark 11. All right, I know y'all Baptists, but you can say amen in church, I promise. Amen, we got it? Mark chapter 11, looking at verse 11, just after that triumphal entry, we read this. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Verse 12 says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Church, will you pray with me? Father God, this morning we stand before you. We come into your house. Wanting to hear a word from you. God, wanting our hearts to be stirred and transformed by you. But only you have the power to do that. So we ask that your Holy Spirit be in this place. God, that your Holy Spirit would be working and moving in hearts by your power. Father, help us to be open and ready to receive a word from you this morning. Father, we ask you to speak for your servants who are listening. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The problem with their production 
So we begin this morning in chapter 11 because the context of this miracle is the key to understanding. Look back at verse 11 with me. It says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus has come in and he's been welcomed as a new king. And the next thing that we see him do is go to the temple. And he's there this first time just to observe. Don't take my word for it. Look at scripture, verse 11. He looked around at all things. And so Jesus comes into the temple and he begins to just look and watch. He's watching the worshipers and the worship that's happening. The sacrifices that are taking place. He's watching the leadership and the vendors and everything that's going on in temple life. He's taking it all in. You see, this first visit to the temple was for the purpose of evaluation. He's looking through, seeing what's there and what's happening. The Bible tells us that the hour was late. He's staying in Bethany, which, if you know your geography in that area, he's got to go down through the Kidron Valley up onto the Mount of Olives to reach Bethany. It's a two-mile trek to get back there. And so the hour is late. Not much more is going on in the temple. They begin heading towards their home for the night. But you know this encounter is on his mind. We know that because right after this passage in verse 15, what we see Jesus do is go back to the temple. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a mission. Day one was just for evaluation. Let's see what's going on. But day two, when Jesus goes back, what you find him doing is overturning the tables of the money changers and knocking over the seats of those who were selling doves, making a profit off of the people's praise. Jesus proclaims, my father's house is a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. With that context, we know that as Jesus went and as Jesus saw and experienced all that was going on in the temple this first day, it is obvious to me that he was displeased with what he saw. Maybe even heartburn. That's important because it sets up our mindset. As we get to verse 12, on the next day, on the next morning, as Jesus is traveling back to the temple, it is very, very likely that the temple is still on his mind. He knows what he's going to do. He's got a mission. He has examined all that was there day one. Day two, he's going back and he's going to make some changes. And he spends the day first taking care of, taking out the trash, just to be real with you taking care of things that do not need to be there, and he spends the rest of the day teaching in the temple. Setting things straight. With that in mind, let's look at verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. 
This tells me two things. Number one, it shows me, it reminds me of the humanity of Jesus Christ. As a man, he's coming out. Obviously, he hasn't had breakfast. In the words of Winnie the Pooh, he has a rumbly in his tumbly. You hear me? Oh, y'all are alive. They're rippling. The second thing that it tells me is that Jesus is Southern Baptist. He's ready to eat, y'all. Oh, good. That second one was a joke. Y'all got that one. The next day he went, he come out of Bethany, and he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Fig trees were plentiful in Israel, and they're mentioned about 50 times in Scripture. Just to be real honest, I didn't know a whole lot about fig trees going into this, but as I researched fig trees and the kind of that process of growth in the fig tree's life, I learned a few things. While Mark tells us that it was not the season for the main harvest of fully mature fruit, fig trees produce small edible bulbs in the spring, around the time of Passover, so right around this time in Scripture, before producing their leaves. And so in this process, the fig tree would have began to produce these bulbs and then produce the leaves, and then those bulbs would grow into mature fruit. That lines up chronologically with where we are. It was about the right time. As Jesus is looking across the way from afar... What he sees is a tree full of leaves. Now, makes sense, right? Jesus is probably not going to walk over to a dead stick and expect to get fruit from it. But every indication of this particular tree, the leaves are out and in full bloom, every indication was that it was a healthy plant. Therefore, it was reasonable for him to expect to find fruit. There were signs of health and life from a distance, but when Jesus came to it and he examined it, he found that it was nothing but leaves. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And so that's not telling you, oh, he didn't find anything because he wasn't supposed to find anything. What Mark is telling you is that, hey, this lines up chronologically. It's not the season for ripe figs, but Jesus should have been been able to get something to eat from this tree. There was a right expectation there. There are signs of health and life from a distance, but when Jesus came and examined it, he found nothing. Not a single bud. How disappointing. I mean, let's just be real. A few minutes ago when Pastor Brandon was talking about fried chicken, my mouth began to water. I'm a Baptist preacher. You know what this belt is? It's a leather fence around a chicken graveyard. I can't help it. Jesus, not having breakfast, being fully man, looks and he sees this fig tree and there's this promise of a little breakfast, something to satisfy the hunger. And he finds nothing, not a single thing. 
this. I wonder if maybe this thought didn't come to Jesus' mind. This tree is an accurate picture of what I saw in the temple yesterday. Just the day before, he had gone to examine the temple, just like he was examining this tree. And in both cases, there were signs of life. There was hustle and bustle. Things were going on. People were going through the motions. Chuck Swindoll wrote it this way. The fig tree represents Israel as God's covenant people. They gave the appearance of life and health, yet failed to bear fruit. The nation had become good for nothing because its spiritual and political leaders had long since placed their faith in something other than God. Church, what a heart-wrenching testimony. Somewhere along the way, the people of God had gotten distracted by, maybe it was going through the motions of being religious. Maybe it was the distractions of life. But something happened in their life, and they are no longer focused on God and who He is. But their faith is in something other than God. Their own abilities. The ability of the process instead of the ability of the provider. Going through sacrifices instead of looking to the Savior. But wait. Before we're too hard on Israel and the temple, let's just let's just take a moment to examine our own lives. Church, can we honestly say that we have never been guilty of producing many leaves but little fruit? From a distance, we can give every indication of life and health that implies a great harvest of spiritual fruit in our lives, but what people don't know is, hey, yeah, the leaves look great. There's not much fruit under there. See, church, we live in an age where Comparing and competing and convenience has led us to be more concerned with appearance instead of reality. But God cares about what's real. That's what produces fruit. He's not concerned with how things look. Not a life that looks good, but a life that is good. Or at least authentically striving to be good. He's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for Production. The goal is to bear fruit. As Christians, how do we bear fruit? Jesus gives us that answer in John 15, just a few days from where we are in Mark. Jesus is teaching his disciples for the final time. And as they're walking, most likely through the Kidron Valley, he is teaching them. And part of that teaching is this. He says, In John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. He who abides in me, and I in him, 
bears much fruit. Our proximity to God determines our production in life. I'm going to say it again. Don't miss this. Our proximity to God determines our production in life. On Jesus' word, not mine. If we have a production problem, if we begin to look inwardly, and we begin to find maybe just buds but no ripe fruit, maybe just leaves and very few buds, if we begin to look at ourselves and find a problem with our production, here's the solution, abide in Him. And we do that by practicing the presence of God. Pastor Justin, how, how, do I, how do I practice the presence of God? We practice the presence of God by studying and applying the Word of God because it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that begins to grow in us the fruit of the Spirit. Church, there is no substitute for the influence of the Word of God in the Christian life. There is nothing that can do what this text can do because it is Spirit-breathed and Spirit-given. Second, we can practice the presence of God by inviting Him into every area of our lives. Church, I don't know about you, but for me, I get on autopilot sometimes. There are times when I'm going through life and I'm just, I'm not paying attention. Some say it's my spiritual gift of ADHD. Some say it's because I work with students and they've made me a little woo. I think it's just because I'm human. And there are so many things going on in this life that I lose focus of what's really important. And I forget to include God in things that God needs to be included in. I begin to rely on what I can do instead of what He can do. And that, friends, will mess you up every time. Invite Him into every area of our lives through prayer. I can practice the presence of God by taking someone with me, reproducing as a disciple. If I'm abiding in Him... Those are very practical points. If I open my mouth, what comes out? Am I praising people? Am I speaking life? Am I lifting people up? Or am I putting them down? Or am I complaining? What comes out of my mouth? What do you do with the time that you've been given? Is it all about what you want to do? Or is it serving God and others? Where do you invest your money? said it. I'm not taking it back. When God gets a hold of your life, He wants a hold of all of it. <laughs> in short, what do you see in the mirror? The physical mirror, but the mirror of God's Word. When you begin to read this, what do you see? Are you loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? 
Are you loving others as Christ loved you? If so, that will be apparent in your life. And if not, it will not. It's not that difficult. The problem is that we look and we don't like what we see, so we pretend we didn't see. And the danger of that is that it does not produce fruit. So church, let me ask you, what would Jesus find if he was here to inspect your life today? Would he find nothing but leaves? Appearances, the, the, the motions of life and health? Without any fruit? Would he find bulbs that aren't being matured? Would he find fruit? Well, maybe, maybe you're someone who you've just been through a, a harvest. For those of you farmers in the room, you know that that's not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That's an every-year thing. Hey, you've harvested some ripe fruit. God is ready to do it again in your life. He's just waiting on us to get engaged. You may be thinking, Pastor, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. This is, it's difficult to live for Christ. I promise you, I know. Because he hit me with this message first. And just to be real honest with you, I'm not up here as someone who has mastered any of this. I'm up here as someone who is struggling through it just like you. God has shown me some areas in my life where, hey, listen, these things are hindering your fruit production. You need to get them out of your life. These things are where you can be, these places are places you can be more focused on who I am and what I'm doing in your life. You need to spend more time in prayer this year than you have been. You need to spend more time in my word. It's not enough just to read. It's not enough just to check off, hey, listen, I've been through the prayer request this week. It is not enough because that is not abiding. His call to us as the church is come and spend time with me. Come like Mary and sit at my feet and listen to what I have to say to you and then do something about it. It's humbling. It's embarrassing. so needed because I haven't made it yet but the pruning that God is doing in my life I can already see there's new life and new fruit that is already beginning to form he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Look at Jesus' response in verse 14. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. See, according to this passage, the alternative to bearing fruit 
is in that response. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. On this fig tree, his words came to pass the next day. They go to the temple. They go back to Bethany. As they're going the next morning by the fig tree, Peter, of course, notices, hey, that thing is dead. I mean like graveyard, dead as a doornail, dead. The Bible says dead to the root. We know from Scripture that the temple was destroyed not long after. John 15, 6, continuing the same passage from before, says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Church, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Destruction is the fate of those who do not bear fruit. No fruit means no God. If our proximity to God determines our production, then no fruit means that we are as far away from God as we can be. And his disciples heard it. His disciples heard it because Jesus is teaching them. This is a teaching moment. For the fig tree, it is too late. For the temple, hey, listen, Jesus is going to the temple to teach. But we know from history, for the temple, it's too late. It is not. It is not that God did not give them chance after chance after chance to repent, to turn around, to do something, to bear fruit, because he did. They refused, and the result was destruction. But church, the good news for you and I is that this is a warning, not a death sentence. If you're here this morning and you're looking at your own life and going, hey, I really don't see any fruit to speak of, it's not the end of the world. It's a wake-up call. Hey, it's time to do something about it. It's time to change something because the only way that you're going to get different results is by doing something different. What is the doing something different? It is practicing the presence of a holy God. Church, I want my life to be impactful for the glory of God. I want to produce as much fruit as I possibly can. I want to have an impact on a world that so needs a Savior. want to make the name and the fame of Jesus great and see lives go from death to life. As we enter 2023, God is teaching me that to achieve these things means to hunger for His presence more and more. want the presence of God. I want to move closer to Him this year than I was last year. God has begun leading me step by step in how to do that. Hey, now that I've got your attention, Justin, 
you need to get this out of your life. You need to move away from these things that are not pushing you closer to me, but pulling you further away. You need to move towards these things which help your life look more like who I am. And step by step, I'm walking with Him. And church, I want to invite you to do the same thing this morning. Come on this journey with me. I want the presence of God in my life more than ever before. If that's you, will you stand with me? If that's you this morning, will you stand with me? I want the presence of God in my life more than ever before. I just want the opportunity to pray over you. Because as a church, I can't do it alone. Pastor Brandon can't do it alone. Pastor Scott can't do it alone. Pastor Clay can't do it alone. This temple, this body of believers, in order for us to bear much fruit as a body of believers, it takes my commitment and your commitment and your commitment and your commitment. We have to do it individually and together. We want to be the church outside of these walls. It starts inside. It starts by practicing the presence of God in our own lives. The world has to see that it's real to us before they will ever believe it can be real for them. With that in mind, let me pray for you. Father God, this morning I just ask that your spirit would move in this place. God, that you would stir hearts. God, that you would begin right now for each and every individual standing, showing us what the next steps are, how I can walk with you a little bit more. God, take us one step at a time, but bring us closer to you. Father, help us to practice your presence each and every day. Lord, help us to expand the areas that we're doing that. God, I pray that for each individual and the Trinity Baptist Church as a whole, that you would lead us to bear much fruit in the coming year. God, I ask these things in the name of the only one who can accomplish it, Jesus Christ.